Sports are such a big part of all of our lives. From the big plays to the unforgettable games, they continue to inspire us in unimaginable ways. But what happens to the athletes, the warriors, and heroes of our time when the game is finally over and the sport they love and work their entire lives pursuing greatness at continues on without them? How do they cope with the transition? How do they find purpose, reclaim their identity, and work towards a vision of the future? As a former professional athlete, playing in the NFL for eight seasons, I know the unique challenges that these athletes face. On this podcast, these athletes will share their stories and how they navigate life beyond the game. All right, what's up, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Life Beyond the Game. Got a really cool guest today. His name is Anthony Trucks, and he's got a really fascinating story. He's been through a lot of challenges, a lot of adversity, um, adopted when he was really young, um, didn't know who his father was, um, and he had a really interesting journey getting into uh, his athletic career, uh, ended up playing football, um, got into football a little bit late in high school, ended up uh, playing at the University of Oregon, and then ended up... um, playing in the league for a couple of years and he tried to make uh, the roster and, you know, just couldn't quite get there and then ended up uh, being faced with a season or career ending uh, shoulder injury, um, which cost him his opportunity in the NFL. And, you know, like most athletes, he struggled with that transition. He got into entrepreneurship. Uh, He shares a little bit about what he learned from that journey, Um, opened a gym and really struggled trying to find his footing. And then, you know, the universe gave him, some signs, some synchronicities that took place and ended up leading him on this journey to where he's at now, uh, who's a really successful um, entrepreneur. He does a lot of speaking and coaching. Uh, He developed something called the shift method. And it's really all about finding our identity, which is really good for the show for former athletes trying to figure out who they are and trying to find purpose outside of sports, uh, which is what the intention of this podcast is, is really share these guys' journey and how they figured out how to find the direction they're looking for. Um, and this guy definitely did. He has a lot of amazing insights in this conversation. Um, and, he, and he just shares a lot uh, of wisdom. Even if you're not an athlete, I think this conversation will add a ton of value to your lives. And I hope you enjoy. But first, a word from our sponsors. And by sponsors, I mean the things I'm working on because I don't have any people paying me for advertising just yet. But that's probably good for you because then I don't have to read all these ad reads like normal podcasts. But I do want to share what I'm working on with the Heart Collective uh, and, you know, having these conversations with athletes and just realizing such a need for community and, you know, being supported and heard and seen by guys that understand the experience. This is what I'm creating with the Heart Collective. It's a community built exclusively for former male professional athletes. Um, to not only help in the transition process, but just expand our networks, um, create camaraderie and learn and grow with one another so that we can reach higher levels of awareness, find purpose, and just make the world a better place. Um, we are also working on a wider content strategy where I'm working on master courses, master classes that will be available to everybody. Although this is an exclusive community for professional athletes, 
We're also providing a bunch of content to a wider audience. If this is something that you would be interested in, go to theheartcollective.com and check it out. That's theheartcollective, H-A-R-T, collective.com. And put your email in, let us know what you're interested in, and we will keep you updated as this content becomes available. Uh, got a wide list of really incredible people that are going to add value in a lot of different ways relationships, boundaries, human optimization, spirituality, meditation, all these things are going to be coming at you. We got master classes with guest speakers, master courses that are two to three week little kind of really intense courses that you can go and learn to better yourself in a wide variety of different ways. So go check that out at theheartcollective.com. Also want to do a give a shout out to my wife and her new platform, growmotely.com. Go check that out. If you're looking for a full-time remote position or you're a small to medium-sized business looking to hire and grow your team, this is the place I've used them to hire some of my back-end employees for my community, for the Heart Collective, and some of the stuff I'm working on with this podcast. Really amazing work what she's doing. So go check it out, growmotely.com. Also, if you haven't yet, go check out Love & Life. It's a podcast with me and my wife, Sarah. It's a reality show type audio experience, very unique. There's a lot of uh, sound effects and storytelling and we just chronicled the journey of how we met in quarantine. Um, both started our businesses, started our podcasts and both started writing books, like all this stuff when we first met ended up getting married and we have a baby boy on the way, which right now is due at any moment. But by the time this podcast is released, I will be a new father and really excited about that journey. And we're sharing that all on Love & Life. So go check that out, subscribe and rate the podcast, review the podcast, this podcast, that podcast, and Quantum Coffee, my other podcast. Go check it out if you want to dive into more of my content and some of the amazing guests that I have on sharing some of their wisdom with the world. Because really what we're here to do is try and make the world a better place by sharing love, positivity, and information and knowledge and wisdom to learn how we can show up and become the best versions of ourselves. That's my mission. And I really appreciate all of you that are supporting that. Um, Yeah. Without further ado, I hope you enjoy this conversation with my good friend, Anthony Trucks. Anthony, what's up, brother? How you doing? I'm doing well, man. I just came back from Florida, so I'm I'm relaxed. Oh yeah? How was it? It was actually, well, here's the thing. It was very relaxing for the last day. (laughs) <laughs> but everything overall was good. It was a good. What trip, happened man. on my, the last day? Wife's birthday. Uh, the last day we went to Disney World. We've been we're Disney World in Florida the whole time. I was then, Disney World during COVID, man. It's fine. Yeah. It's, it's, we just wear a mask. It's the same as the rest of the world. We wear a mask, and then in lines, like you have like stand six feet apart, so the lines are like <laughs> lines are like way off. longer than they're usually. Are. Yeah, they're all over the park. There's people like off in the mid, like the rides over here, like a mile away with the sign. End of the lines here. It's it's super weird. <laughs> And then the rides themselves, like, you know, they, they space the rows. So like, if you're, you know, if there's like a four row situation, it's like you're in row two and row four, you know, or we're one and row three, or, but they don't put all together. Besides that, it was good, but we did this thing, this new Disney Star Wars ride, Rise of the, the what is it called? The, I don't know, the Rise of something, Rebellion and Resistance, Rise of the Resistance. Mm. You have to like do this weird, uh, you got to win the lottery. So right at 7 a.m. or 1 p.m., you're, you're sliding your phone, hoping to get in and get like a seat. So like we're waiting all day till one o'clock because we been at 7 a.m. Didn't know about it. And then one o'clock hits, we win the lottery. We're like, oh, so the whole time up to that, we're like, it was like anxiety. We're going to get the ride, not get the ride. So then we get to the point where we actually get, you know, we get in the lottery. We, it's the back end of the day. Literally, we're going to go from this ride to the airplane last night. 
So get over there, hit the ride. We're getting in with you 30 minutes in line, walk away through. We finally get the ride, right? We get in, like you get to like the first parts. You're in this little room, they debrief you. Then they take this other little like shuttle thing where like you're loading up to get the resistance plane to go fight the, you know, the, the I don't know, whoever they are. The the, the guys, the bad guys, the, the dang it's like virtual reality kind of screens. Well, it wasn't. It was, like, it was like a Star Tours, but standing. But the ride's designed in a way where it's like, it's outside and it's it's seriously a really cool experience. Like you're, you're walking through, then you get into like the shuttle ship and you get in the shuttle ship and then from the shuttle ship you're like you get docked and boarded by the empire so they, they tractor beam you into their big destroyer and you get in the destroyer you walk off there's a whole platoon of all these like real like standing there not real people um, but the stormtroopers they walk to this back room it's half the ride you get to this next room and you get into the ride you get in the next room all the lights start going off alert emergency they kick everybody out of the ride. There's some oh. weird, you know, emergency. We get out of the ride and they're like, all right, stand back here by the parking lot and to the back of Disney. And like, this isn't part of the ride for sure. And like, so we're like, what's going on? They're like, all right, just make a, string, a straight you know, line right here. Head out this door. They're going to have somebody there to give you all the details. They just drop us into the park with nobody there. So and we're like- No uh, idea what's going. Like, you don't know if there's like a mass shooting happening or no what? Idea. We have no idea. And, and the rest of the park, nothing goes. It's just that ride. It's not, they won't tell us what's going on. They won't tell us why it got shut down. So we walk back to the front like, guys, like it was a good five minute walk back to the park. Like they took us all these places and we just got dropped off on the side of somewhere. No debrief. So like, no debrief. What's going on? Nobody knows anything. How long? We don't know. What happened? We don't know. You telling me you don't know. The whole place got kids. You don't want to tell me? Or you really don't? Anyways, whole craziness. And then like it just left with a really bad taste in our mouth. So we had to step into a space like of well, this is frustrating. However, it's a blessing we get to come here. It's, it's, it's a, you know the fact that we're happy, healthy, got to experience it. So many people will never in their lifetime even see this park. So like it's all right. We'll go at some point in time in the future. But at the moment, it was not that easy to get past the fact that it kind of sucked that we got through all that. The anxiety of not getting a spot, then getting a spot, and getting kicked off, and then getting on a plane. Like we literally walked from there to the car to a plane. You know, like that was what that happened. Was it. That was it. So besides that, it was a great trip. That's interesting because that's kind of like a good segue into a lot of people's transition out of professional sports, right? Like, yeah, sometimes it's so abrupt. There's like no debrief. Yeah. There's no closure. Like you get injured, you get cut and you're like, all of a sudden it's over. You're like, wait, what do I do now? Yeah, that's man. Fascinating. That's true. Yeah. Let's I dive in a little, bit, a little bit about your story. Uh, maybe introduce yourself, share a little bit about who you are, and then we'll dive into your athletic journey and, and the transition and, and see how you kind of debrief that experience uh, in your own life. Yeah. So I'm a, uh, at this point in time, man, I'm a, I'm a coach, I'm a speaker. I, uh, I work with like Amazon, T-Mobile, PayPal, a lot of different companies. And, and I coach individuals and the kind of the, the work I do is an identity. So I call it an identity shift. Uh, the, the key of what I do is I teach people to become like prolific executors, not just like a person who has a bunch of ideas and, you know, the ask holes, but the people actually get things done. And it's uh, having a system around life like we had in football that helps us push past the hard parts of scary things, get organized, be disciplined, all that fun stuff that really creates success. Uh, I think football was a humongous help for me in my life because growing up, I was given a foster care at three years old. So like my first years of life were like not really fun. <laughs> I got given away at three. So I bounced around this really heinous foster care system. Ended up getting adopted by an all-white family at 14 after spending like eight years with them. But it was like the sixth house, just a lot of craziness. Found football. Football was this thing I was really bad at to begin with. I didn't get to play until I was 14. Horrible at the game. My peers have been around for like five, seven years playing already. Mm. I was getting smashed out there. But after a couple of years of feeling horrible and actually checking out, um, when I got adopted, my mom got diagnosed with MS. And so I had this 
kind of separation. And I was actually like tucking it away. I was packing it all in, man. Had a moment that kind of pivoted my uh, my internal to like want to be great at the game of football. And I just started doing things with no logic behind them at 15 years old to be great at the game. And then it turned into me solving that problem, man. And got really good. Got a scholarship, played football at the University of Oregon. So go Ducks. I'm going to throw it out there. Mm. Uh, and then, you know, got, got a, had a kid at 19 in college. Met my real dad at 20 years old in college. Um, progressed on to get the NFL. NFL, as you know, stands for not for long. You played much longer than I did. I was hurt in my third year, which sadly is kind of the story for the majority of guys. And then I got dropped on my head, man. Came out of the game. Had no clue who I was. Football was my identity for the longest time as a lot of guys. And, and so now it's like, well, who am I? How do I bring worth to any part of this world when I don't have that thing I've poured into? And the best way I can explain it's been I broke my life. Like I, I wanted to find that again. So I tried to find it in a gym business. So I opened this gym. No idea what I was doing. I was burning through money trying to get this thing alive. I might, we had two more kids. So I have three kids with my, my high school sweetheart, my wife. And uh, she's at home by herself from like, you know, 6 a.m. to 10 p.m. while I'm trying to build this gym business, but going bankrupt in the process. Mm. And eventually my wife steps out of me. Business starts going up and down. I'm always struggling through it. I'm getting out of shape and covering my belly with a sweatshirt and I'm at a gym, right? Like it was weird. I just managed to hate it all. And at one point, legitimately, like, I don't want to live here. I don't want to live really. Like, I don't want to live on this planet. If this is game after football, if it's life after the game, like I'm good. And, uh, and thankfully didn't take any actions to take my life, man, but just really had a rude awakening of like, I got to figure this thing out. And then fast forward a couple of years of being like a stupid long fog, the, the survival fog, like mm. goes with emotions just, you know, party it up, hang out, you know, just do stuff that was distracting me from the guy inside. And my mom passed away in 2014. And I just made this promise. I'm going to figure my life out. And if I do, I'm going to help other people do the same in some capacity. Had no idea what it looked like, but man, I figured it out. And after a few years, like I got to the point where I actually had some, some ability to understand what it was I did differently back in high school, what I was doing now. And fast forward, man, I got my life back on track. Remarried my ex-wife after a long conversation, a lot of some forgiveness stuff in there, but we have an amazing marriage now. My kids have their father. I'm in good shape. My business runs smooth and I get to help a ton of people by figuring out how to, how to make the shift I talk about. Because a prolific executor, it sounds good because that's what people want to hear, right? But the truth of it is, when I get to the root of getting people to operate at a different tick, man, life becomes a joy. You mm. get more done with more peace, with more success at your level of success, not mine, but your joy. And it becomes this really unique kind of flow where successful people kind of make it look easy almost. And it really mm -hmm. does feel that way. Right. But it's still hard work, but it's loving work. Like when you have a, you have to have a kid, mm -hmm. when you have your kid, it's going to be work, but it's, you're going to love the work. It's different mm -hmm. than like slaving away, shoveling rocks all day. You know, it's like it's work, but you love it. And that's what I help people get to. I love it, man. Yeah. There's a lot to unpack there. Uh, a little bit. Yeah, man, you've been on one one hell of a journey and and I'm really excited to kind of navigate how you got from that place. You know, I, I've had a few people on this podcast that talk about they were to the the that part, that dark night of the soul where they felt like they really just couldn't live anymore because they didn't know who they were and then you finding it. But I want to go back to to an experience that just, you know, that came to me. What was it like meeting your your father at was it 20 years old? Yeah. Like how was that experience? That was weird. Well, his thing, growing up my entire life, my birth certificate. So first, my mom's right. My real mom is white. Mm -hmm. my, uh, my birth certificate says my dad's name is Daniel Patrick O'Byrne, mm -hmm. which is an Irish name, which means that I should be all white, but I'm not. So there's like, all right, well, there's something off there. So all my life, my, my 
family kept saying, you know, my mom kept telling people, don't call him Tony. It's his dad's name. So I'm like, all right, so Tony has to be Summer, but never knew what it was. Then eventually I get, you know, I separate from her. I don't talk to her for years. I go to college. My real grandma happens to live two hours north of me in a town called Mount St. Helens, Oregon. I was in Eugene going to school. And Were you she's connected with your real family at all? Like during this time? It? You weren't? Okay. No. They'd all been distant, never knew of them, like, but I, I knew of them, right? But never really, really talked to them. And somehow she got my phone number. So we started talking. And then at one point, my freshman year, my high school sweetheart had moved up to college with me. She's going to school there also. I get in the phone with my grandma and uh, my, my fiance, she's my fiance at the time, she says, hey, ask your grandma what your dad's real name is. I was like, no, I don't know. She's like, just ask him. So I ask her. My grandma says, I can't tell you. Your mom said never to tell you. I'm like, all right. My girl, she's like, no you better ask again. She knows it. You better dig it out of her. So I kept asking and I didn't want it, but she's like, okay, okay. And she had to go to a different room because my mom was apparently there. She says, okay, your dad's last name is Osaibovo. And it's this I unique name. Osaibovo. Yeah. Pretty it's, unique much, name, yeah. It's not Smith. Unique. <laughs> yeah, not Smith, right? Not Trucks. Trucks is my mom's, my biological mom's maiden name. Uh-huh. So I look up Osaibovo. At the time we had like the, the internet in the dorms, right? It was like the ethernet plug. It was like the fastest in the world, you know? So I plug it in and start looking. Did you to kind of know your father at this time? Like wanted to reach I out didn't. for him or was it just like a curiosity because your girlfriend was- No, I, I am a guy, I don't like vices. So I don't like being controlled by something outside of, of my control. So I didn't want to be controlled by this open open gaping hole that I didn't know my dad. So I purposely tuned my emotions and not worry about it. And I didn't, it didn't, what's it going to do? Right. And so, uh, so I think why I kept pressing against my fiance was like, I don't really care to, what's it going to do? Like, you know, so, um, but I'm not going to lie. It was cool to meet him. So the way it took place was I find this name and I call the name and, and I look up, a, look up the name and there's like three different names in the, in the phone book in, in the whole America, right? All of the United States that had this last name. So I look it up. One guy's name's Anthony Asaibovo. Interesting. So I call him. Uh, I say, hello, my name is Anthony. He goes, hello, this is Anthony. Like his thick Nigerian accent. I go, you know, my name is Anthony. I don't know. Do you know a woman named Marie from Concord, California? He says, no, I don't, but I know one from Martinez, like Martinez, California. I was like, oh, they're neighboring cities. Mm-hmm. He's like, said, well, in 1983, do you remember being with her? He goes, yeah, but she left me for an Italian man. She said he was having his baby. I was like, oh, well, I'm not Italian. <laughs> it's like, I said, hey. I think it might be my, might be my dad. And he goes, he paused and he goes, okay. And then he went into this conversation. He had no idea I existed. He, you know, he's so, so sorry. Nigerian culture is like big to be around. So that the whole conversation. And there's more to the story. It's very interesting too. So I get to the point where like, all right, I, I, my dad, like he lives in Marietta, Georgia. Our first game the next year is in Mississippi, at Mississippi State. And I was like, well, I'm about to go up again. This is my true sophomore year against a redshirt senior, his fifth year, my second. And I want his job but it's his job. He just waited. Like he waited all these years to get this job. And I was like, I want his job. And I love the guy, but like I destroyed that training camp, that fall camp, man. I, I wanted the job. And lo and behold, first game of the season, first clean to start, national television. We won the game. I got this game ball and I got to beat my dad all in one fell swoop. Wow. And it was a cool experience, man. And then fast forward 90 years before he passed away from cancer, he says, hey, I did know about you all your life. I just didn't know how to bring it. So I have an older sister and a younger brother. So I was I was born out of wedlock. So he kind of mm. disappeared. So mm. yeah, a whole bunch of weird stuff there. So that so that initial conversation where he said he didn't know you was a lie. It was a lie for nine yeah. years. All the all the years that I knew him, he had lied to me. But he told him he was on his deathbed and he came out and said, "Yeah, how did that I, feel?" That's a question I get from a lot of people. I think had he told me at that time, I would have been really, really bothered. But the, there's that whole statement of you can never, you know, no man can ever step in the same river twice. 
because mm. river isn't the same, nor is the man. Mm. And so when I found out I was in a different space, it was around the time when I had done a lot of growth to kind of get my marriage back in place. It was a perfect time for him to share with me. Mm. But I realized, man, that some people that, I think a lot of human beings that get hurt by other humans, there's this thought that it's a malicious act to do damage to your life. And so I take it as an attack. And when I have an attack, I attack back emotionally or in a negative way. And when I started realizing whether it was my ex-wife or my mom giving me away or my dad, like a lot of people, they, they're actually unfortunately doing the best they can, but that's all they were given. It's mm-hmm. only tools that, that he had in his, in his you know, tool base at the time. So it's like, I, I was hurt. It, it obviously affected me, but at most he was being selfish, right? At most. And so for me, it's like, do I really want to have this man leave this earth, you know, having this, this heavy weight? And I was like, look, I, I get it. You were doing the best you could. After a while, how do you go back to 19 years later and say, I'm your dad? Like, how do you, I get it? So I say, man, I, I wouldn't have wanted to carry the burden the way you did. I forgive you. Like, life's good. And so, yeah, I just, I don't carry that because I realize a lot of people who have done me wrong, they're carrying deeper, darker demons than I am. Mm, that's such a beautiful realization, right? Like the act of forgiveness is, is nothing external. It's not expecting somebody else to like come to amends with what they did to you. Forgiveness is really fully being able to let go of the story and love them and know that they are doing the best they can in any given moment. And when you reach that point, I mean, it's a level of freedom that is so, it brings so much peace to our inner life. Oh, yeah. So yeah, that's how my marriage got back in place, but my wife had an affair and that thing for a lot of people, they're like, how could you get back? I, I did Tom Billy's impact theory podcast. It's a bigger podcast. And, uh, and he was like, you know, those guys in are commenting, like the moment he said he got back with his ex-wife, like I was out. It's like, man, that person, I don't get mad at that. I just like, I don't even, I, in the beginning, he's like, oh, it's weird. But I'm like, dude, you missed out on the whole concept as to how that happened mm. and how that lesson can free you. Cause it's not that I, and she did something wrong. And I was like, you know, that like she said, I'm sorry. I took her back. Like there's a lot of depth to it. But the reality was she was a 25 year old woman with three kids under the age of four, two newborn twins, a husband who wasn't present. She just needed something for herself. She wasn't trying to hurt me. Mm. She needed something. And I wasn't providing, I was a bad husband, dude. I was gone all day. And, and so like, I get why she did it. I don't, I don't take it. Her decision sucked. Horrible way to handle the situation. But I was part of the process to get her to a point of even thinking she needed to have a choice in the first place. So like, but that reality set in and, and I felt bad for me. Like I didn't imagine a person suffering. That's what it was. People are typically suffering and they make this choice that affects you, but it's not for you. And so like, when you can get to that kind of peace, you're right. It frees you. Cause you're like, oh, as opposed to harboring this anger, which makes me experience anger, I can harbor compassion and love and it frees up that feeling. And I can experience compassion and love emotionally also. Yeah, it's so beautiful. You, you like take responsibility for the situation, right? And a lot of times people project out and, you know, it's usually ourselves that create the the scenario where we're pushing that person away, where they make that kind of decision. And a lot of people get to that unconscious patterning where they can blame somebody for where they're at in life rather than fully taking responsibility and doing the deep healing work. And it's really yeah. beautiful. Like to most people can't even, wouldn't be able to navigate that back to like find that loving foundation that got you guys together in the first place and be able to heal that. I'm sure now that you guys have gone through that whole experience, you guys are on really strong ground as far as like being able to speak oh, yeah. truth and openness moving forward. Crazy, crazy strong. I mean, we're still human. I still say things she hates to hear and vice versa, but I'm we good. say it, you know, and, and yeah. in, so in doing so, it's definitely a vastly different relationship where no one can get into it. There's, mm-hmm. there's no, like, it's odd. I have so much more like anchoring that she'll never step out like that in my life. I, I can't, like it never crosses my mind. 
Mm-hmm. She can go anywhere and do anything for as long. It never, because there's just a depth of human connection because we went through that kind of that whole fire, man. It was a lot, but it's beautiful now. Yeah, it's beautiful. Let's get back into a little bit of your athletic career. You played at the University yeah. of Oregon. You just shared yeah. about how you kind of won that starting job. Talk about uh, your dream of playing in the NFL and what that was like and how it kind of evolved. And then your experience of actually making it to the NFL and kind of the short career that you lived. Yeah, man, there was no dream of the NFL until like way later. <laughs> I, I mean, I was a foster kid, dude. We're, uh, that, that whole movie with Blindside, very, very similar to my life. Whenever I watched that, I was like, oh my gosh, this guy's like living. I'm watching myself on TV. Uh, but very similar because I think for me growing up, I, I just, I never thought that I would get that level. You know, if you look at the prison statistics, 75% of inmates in America are former foster kids. Wow. Half the home population are former foster kids. And like 1% of us, less than 1% of us ever graduate from college. So for every 100 foster kids, you might have one that actually go to college. So it's like, it's crazy that like statistically, I, I couldn't dream that high. I didn't even know to, I didn't know anybody out there. So when I got to college, that was a stretch. I'm like, I have made it in life. I am going to college. And I grew up real poor. Like we weren't like white picket fence, white family, all good. We're like white family, trash no cars that ran, you know, roaches in the backyard, in the garage, you know, mice in the pantry kind of stuff. I get my bags out of a Goodwill shirt. I had to put paper clips in my shoes to keep them together. Like we didn't have much. And so going to college, my mom was like, look, if you don't get a scholarship, like we're not, you're not going to college. I'm like, I can't afford that. And, okay. and really nobody was right. And my family, like my mom was sick. My dad was a pipe fitter. My siblings, I'm the only one of all six of us in that family to even graduate from high school without going to continuation or getting a GED. Like, let alone college. So it wasn't part, part of the fire when you started playing football, like to, to make it out of this life. Was this like your, one of your outs? I know a lot of people in those kind of situations, they look to sports to try and get them out of that situation to kind of elevate where they're at. No, I wish, I, I, I think that's the thing is I wish I could say it was, man, but it wasn't. You know what it was? It was just, it gave me a sense of self pride, like self worth. That was it. I think my drive was I wanted to matter. Cause I didn't matter enough to my own mom to keep me. So if I could like find some that made me matter, it was this. And I got real good at it. And, and inherently any identity you, you start to gather onto, when you do good at it, you start to feel that you're good. You want more of that, right? Mm-hmm. So I was just seeking the, the desire of, of being desired, we'll call it. And so, you know, college became a reality. Then college, it was like, I'm, I made it. I'm at the show, man. And I have a kid. I got this girl. We're going to plan life. Football for like NFL didn't even cross my mind till my junior year. And it wasn't a thing. To be honest, my college coach DP was like, look, if you're not trying to go to the league while you're here, like if that's not your goal, like you're in the wrong school. And even then I'd be like, all right, whatever. But I still grind. You know, I just still, I still, I wanted to still be like I mattered. So I wasn't grinding to be in the NFL. I was grinding to be great now. Mm. And that obviously turned into football. Then the NFL came and I'll be trying honest, man. The NFL was a weird journey for me because I got there and it felt like foster care. It was this thing where I'm ripped from my family. I'm across the country. Uh, I don't have any, these people, I don't know them. They don't really care about me like foster care. And I could be moved at any given moment without anybody telling me. Foster care, that literally you just show up to the house, there's a car outside, they take you somewhere else, right? You're gone. Just the the ability to to not have stability really anchored me in a different funky place inside. So it like unsettled me. So I got into that level. and, And to be honest, my first year, Tampa Bay, I, I hadn't graduated from college yet. So when I got to the point of um, being like, you know, there for like actual training camp, nobody knew me, nobody liked me. I don't know the system. And so my first year there, dude, it was like training camp. 
And I remember I was like two weeks in, had two weeks left. And I walked downstairs, like, I'm out of here. I called my wife. I'm like, I'm done. I can't do this anymore. I called my agent. He's like, what the hell are you talking about? I called my coach. Do I still, can I come back to school? He's like, yeah, I was talking about like, I was done, dude. Walked downstairs. Here's a crazy thing. I think the catalyst was like, I'd missed my son. I had this dog tag of him. And I'd lost it somewhere during training camp. I just lost this dog tag and like it settled in funny. Like I hate it here. Oh, like that, that emotion just gets you. And I walked downstairs. I am 20 feet from the room where the coaches are meeting during lunch. I can see them. The door's open. I can see him. And I stopped for some reason. And a guy named Eric Vance walks by. You remember, does Eric still with Tampa Bay when you were there? Uh, sure. dude. Might what, not have been. What does he do? He was like player development. He was just a guy like, he was like a homie yeah. of, the, of the guys. He used yep. to play. I have no idea. Um, but he's like their player development, kind of like the healthy guy. Like when the guy comes yeah, yeah, on. Yeah, no, there's a different guy there now. Yeah. Yeah. So, so he just happens to stop and he's like, what are you doing? I'm like, man, I got to get out of here. He goes, what do you mean you got to get out of here? He's like, sit down. So we sit down. I start telling my story. He goes, wow. He goes, dude, you, you don't belong here, but you're here. He's like, you have made it past so much. Why would you want to quit? And he says this thing. He says, if you do quit, what would you tell your son 15 years from now when he asks why you left the NFL? And a really like, oh, yeah, you're right. And he's like, dude, just stick it out. He's like, you belong here. You fit. It's just, be, it's hard, but don't quit, man. You've done so much in your life to stop now of all places. So it's funny. The next day I go to practice, like the next practice, I want to say it was, I get to my locker, hanging on my locker is a dog tag with my son's picture. Wow. Someone from the grounds crit found it and put it there. And in my head, I'm like that. I feel like that was God. Like you made the right choice. Mm-hmm. So I still got cut two weeks later. <laughs> still got cut. But it kept me, it kept my mind wrapped around like, it's just going to be hard, man. So the thing for me was up and down. And then the next year I got, you know, picked up by the Redskins. I made it all through like the whole off season was there. You know, well, I was a guy. Year, you, were you not on a roster that first year? Wasn't in a roster. I so got was there. The vision of continuing to play, waiting for the next opportunity the following. Waiting, yeah. Yeah. Just waiting to the next squad, you know? And then I got to the next time. So the next week 13 of the next season got picked up by the Redskins was on practice squad throughout. And I was only practice squad. I never got to active, man. That was one thing that really unsettled me. It pissed me off. But I got to the level of like, you know, I'm there. Um, and then the first, like the next preseason, I killed it on special teams. Like killed it. This is the whole thing. Like I can't grasp how things took place. I led the special teams with points the entire preseason. So coming into the season, I'm like, bro, I got to get on. Like, how are you not going to have me? Mm-hmm. P-Squad. And then I had interviewers at, like three different people interviewed me. Like, we thought you were going to be unactive. Are you mad that you aren't? I'm like, nah, you know, it's part of the thing. Coach did their thing. Week one, five guys get hurt. I get chopped. They keep my backup. Weird. I'm like, how are you going to keep the third string guy? Like, you can't keep, it was weird. So he gets kept. Then I, I go home again, like, don't go very far. We're going to pick you up pretty soon. Nobody called me back. So I go home, do my workouts again. Week eight, the next year, Pittsburgh calls me. I go to Pittsburgh. I'm there in the off season, you know, still practice squad all through the off season, the end of the season. Um, into the next year, like I'm, I'm balling. I'm finally there. Like I'm, I'm Troy Palomalu's backup on, on kickoff. He ain't running down on kickoff. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. we're going to, I'm on, I'm fine. I'm, I'm, I'm one of the guys. And then first preseason game, tear my shoulder, playing against the Philadelphia Eagles. Dude jumps on my back, tears my shoulder out. End of my career, end of my season. That started a whole different catalyst. So like, and then all, here's the worst part. It was 2008. They all go on to win a Super Bowl and I'm sitting at home watching it. Mm. I'm like, oh, just cut me a check, send me home, man. All 32 teams, it was them who won the Super Bowl. Yeah. So, 
Yeah, just that was my story, man. Up and down and up and down. But you just, you learn a lot. There's obviously, you know, there's so much in the nooks and crannies of every moment that you endure to where now in my life, where I can take on between that and foster care, there's very few of any things that have the ability to knock me down. Yeah, that's what a lot of people don't realize is the is all the unique challenges and hardships and adversity that you face just trying to make it in the NFL. And it's really fascinating when you're saying like, you didn't want to be there. You wanted to go and someone came and told you like, you've made it this far. Like, how are you just going to let this go? Like, keep working. And I felt a very similar thing with my eighth year. I had a very up and down career as well. Uh, but my eighth year when I finally made the decision, like, okay, I think I'm done. Like, this is just too hard, too challenging. I feel called for something else. And, you know, my fiance at the time just really couldn't understand the decision I was making. I think her identity was wrapped up in being a football player's potential wife or, or future wife. And yeah. my parents, even they were like, my dad, I remember my dad being like, what are you going to say no to like these millions of dollars and just walk away from the dream that you've worked so hard to like, you're, you're right there. You're, you're living your dream. And like, most people don't understand the challenges that I face. And it's almost like you're set up to like have to give everything because you don't want to squander this opportunity. Yeah. And it's like all these different little stories that go in that really kind of manipulate and make it even harder for an athlete to transition out. And so when you came up to finally that injury, what, what came up internally, like emotionally, mentally, like were you kind of, I'm sure there's a part of you that was excited to kind of like leave it in the rear view, but did you have like this identity crisis, obviously you talked about earlier in the show, where there's a few years where you're trying to figure out what to do with yourself. Oh yeah. I mean, the thing was when I first got that, I'm like, ah, oh, you know, they gave me a little chunk of money and I was like, well, you know, injury settlement. Injury. Well, there wasn't, it was just, uh, I was like the season settled. My agent did a good job of having some things in a contract. Mm-hmm. There was an injury settlement in some capacity there. So I'm like, I got a little bit of money, but I'm not done. Right. I'm gonna go back and play. And then now I've got in college tore my right shoulder NFL, my left shoulder, left wrist busted. I got two inner spinal ligaments in my back that are, you know, slightly like degenerative and they're, they're kind of tears. So I found out later on, like the worst things for linebackers are shoulders, wrists, and low back. And sure enough, I had them all, you know? So, so now I'm looking at another team's going to sign me, except uh, a couple that will give me a waiver, which says essentially, Hey, you can come play for us, but we're going to put a waiver on your shoulder. If anything happens to your shoulder, we ain't covering it. And I'm post-surgery. So my agent was like, look, here's what you got to realize no matter what, this is going to be the reality for your contract moving forward. So either you take this contract or you hang it up. But here's what I'll tell you. If you hurt your shoulder and you can't move, you're paying for surgery. Like you come out of the pocket, maybe a hundred plus thousand dollars to pay for it just to be able to go and play with your kids someday. He's mm-hmm. like, if you're willing to, to gamble that, do it. He's like, but I wouldn't. And I mean, it's the guy that he wants to get me signed. You know, it's his job. So when he's telling me that I'm like, damn, if my agent doesn't think I should go back, like I shouldn't. I remember... I made that, that call, like essentials, like, all right, I'm hanging it up, Drew. And I remember like sitting there and like ugly crying in the office. Cause it was like, it had been a journey. This was like three months this is after surgery, after recovery, I'd done a workout in Buffalo. I'd done this. And now I'm sitting here like, this is the end of a, a ridiculous, this is the end of my manhood journey. I thought like, this is all of me. And I was putting it on the table and I just, it all came pouring out. And it was tough, man. It was a very like hard moment, very lonely, very empty, very, very scary and lost. And I don't know if many guys express or talk about that, but like that was, it was a, a really weird space to be in. And that was a, just a whole new life. That's even harder. I think it's a crazy thing. As hard as the NFL is, dude, real life is harder, mm-hmm. <laughs> especially when you're a guy like me. I didn't have a bunch. I didn't just play eight years. I didn't have a bunch of money stockpiling. Mm-hmm. I'd put in this gym. So dude, I mean, it's just, a, it's been a grind and a climb. But, uh, but there was, there was a piece of like, all right, at least I'm off of that, that roller coaster. There was that piece, like the foster care thing. When I got adopted, I was like, oh man, 
for the first time in my life, I know that this pillow I woke up on, I get to go to sleep on. This is my, I have stability and security of knowing at least that I got that back. That was probably the most peaceful thing was I got that back. But as soon as I got that back, I started losing the rest of everything else. So it's just weird journey, man. Yeah. I mean, I had the very similar thing and I know a lot of athletes do. It's like when you start getting validation and love for your performance on the field and like your self-worth is so wrapped up in that. Like for me, I was like, if I, if I had a bad game or lost a game, I would feel like less of a person, really shitty. But if I went out there and performed well, I felt like amazing, like a million bucks. And then Mm -hmm. when it was all over, like that one thing that gives us so much self-worth and we, it's so wrapped up in that game. And all of a sudden we don't have that opportunity to prove who we are to the world and it's all over. Like, where do we go? Yeah. So you, you decided to, to go into the gym. What, what was the, what was the vision behind that? Was it a long journey to get there? Just trying to find purpose and. Yeah. What it was, man. So the first thing I guess for me was I, uh, I, my degrees in kinesiology. So biology, anatomy, human physiologist. That's what I knew. Right. And I was like, Oh, if I'm going to give something back to the world, let me give it in a way that I know. Right. And, and, and though here's the logic behind it. Truthfully, was, well, a lot of the guys who do that and girls who do that, like they would kill to be in the places that we were. They'd kill to be in the, in the strength training room and in the, you know, in the treatment center and be around the team. Like they would love to do that because then they they know this and they can train us. Right. So I'm like, well, dude, I got something they don't have. I have been access to a real life experience of being that athlete they're working with. So pair that with the brain, bro. I got this. So that's when my mind was coming back. I'm like, dude, I know this. I played the league. Everybody's going to want to train with me because I know my stuff. And I came home and I was like nine months in out of money. <laughs> I had no idea what I was doing because they don't teach you business in the NFL. Yeah, it's one thing opening a gym and doing the physical part and the mental part and being able to train with yeah. a former pro athlete. But then there's so much back-end business stuff that goes into mm-hmm. entrepreneurship. Talk about the lessons that you learned through that journey. Well, the hard thing that I, I took too long to figure out, and I think some guys never figure out, is there is an intangible within us that is, uh, is untouchable by anybody else in business. There is but we have to access it. We're used to working really hard in the weight room, lifting weights, running around, right? There's a certain level of push that when things get hard, like I get angry when I'm tired. It's a weird kind of mental, like I, I, and I get, I want to push harder as a, as a physical thing though. And I didn't know how to translate it to business for a few years. And so where, where I looked at business, it's incredibly difficult. But once I got to this point of realizing like, oh, the same way if I hit that, like, you know, we're doing a hundred sprint, hundred yard sprints or something. If number eight of 10 is, is tired, like I'll push for nine and 10. I'm going to get that out of me. Right. When I could apply the same concept to like, all right, it's six o'clock, some videos that got to be filmed or a meeting I got to hold, like, bro, get that next two reps out. Right. Like I could turn that mode on and find a way to execute in the face of pain or frustration. Like that becomes my separator. So when I could tap into that, dude, that's when it finally became this thing where entrepreneurship got, I'll say, easier. Because mm. it, it's not that it's difficult. We all have the same information in this world, for the most part, right? You get, you get a lot of info from being on the field, right? It's different than, like, you can watch film all day and you can play the game. You get different information in the game. It's just bar none. You can't, you can't, you can't learn experience, right? Exactly. Yeah. So there's an aspect of me that, like, I, I was in the space of not taking action for a while. But once I did and understood how my ability to execute at a high level got me into the realm of experience and I got vaster lessons I ever could. Like that was my, my big separator. So while entrepreneurship is incredibly difficult, it's not a matter of the information that people can access or buy. Cause here's what I did. I bought the books, man. I did the seminars. I did the courses. I was, I probably spent a quarter million dollars at one point on over like a two year period on just personal development, getting in the, in the rooms and nothing was returning. Mm-hmm. Nothing was coming back. I was like, why is it not making money? I, I've, I've invested all this stuff. 
but I wasn't making a true investment, which was action. Mm. I wasn't investing in the actions of, a, of application. And once I turned that switch, I understood a system to do it, dude. That's when things spun up. So yes, entrepreneurship is incredibly difficult. But you know, let's say me and you walk in the weight room, if we're looking at this bar on the ground, it's you know, 225 pounds, at first it's going to be heavy, but you lift it enough, it's eventually your warm up. So yep. for me, it gets to the point where like, yeah, the things that are heavy for most people, dude, they're my warm up, and I keep pressing. But that's that's how I got to the point of I guess, entrepreneurship being easy. Yeah. How long did you do the gym for? And then when like, did you get to a point where it just it just failed and you walked away? And what was that like? Like not yeah. being able to make it work. Yeah, that was sucky. There. So <laughs> I uh, I started the gym, and then it was up and down. Every two weeks, it was either like payroll, payroll, and rent. Payroll, payroll, and rent for six years. I, I was the never cash burn is just burning a hole, huh? Dude, man, I could barely. I was paying rent sometimes, like change out of my car. Like I, I one point lived in a five hundred square foot studio apartment behind the house of one of my trainer's girlfriends. It was like it was, it was sad. But I, I was, and I had a nine thousand square foot gym and nineteen employees. You know what I'm saying? Like I was broke still. We were bringing in like sixty grand a month, but it was going so many places between staff and over. It was like, dude, I, I'm and I'm trying to bring in three thousand a month from that. I was doing it all wrong. I didn't know what I was doing. Mm. And uh, and yeah, I man, I got to this point where like I just I I went kind of the point of realizing that business, this whole thing, it's it's a very hard journey. <laughs> To navigate. Um, what was your what was your question? I lost track of it you for had, some reason. You had, so you had you had nineteen employees. So you went big with this thing, right? You wanted to scale it pretty quickly. Was that part of the reason not having experience being able to handle all of the back end business stuff as far as like all the costs and how much time yeah. it takes? It seems like you had a pretty successful business. You just weren't didn't really I get to the point to like making it work. Yeah, you know what it was? I didn't have the understanding of where the money should go, so I could find ways to hustle and grit and grind. But that's why I was stressed out all the damn time. So I would like, seriously, I was talking about, I would have money and it would, it would come and it would go every two weeks of be in and out. It was just this up and down roller coaster. And I never understood like the ins and outs of the financial portion. So it would come in. I wasn't burning it anything. I wasn't even, spe- I'm not a spender, man. I don't, I don't buy a bunch of stupid stuff. But what happened was like, it would come in and I'd, I'd allocate it to new equipment or I'd try to pay off a, a credit card debt or something that I had, you know, accrued up. And, and here's the one thing too, is like, I would grind for a few months and the things it would take to grind to get up, like I'd get to success. I'm like, oh, and I would chill out. Mm. I'm like, I'm cool. And I'd been, before I knew it, it was always three months later, I'd be back at the bottom of the hill, up and down and up and down. And it was just this weird thing where I couldn't, but at the same time, in the background, I got relationship issues. I'm doing custody battles. Like I was in a tornado, dude. Like it was this weird- These deeper stories that you had to navigate. It wasn't necessarily the business, but it was the internal- Everything. kind of thing you had to go through. unsettled. I, I explain it kind of like if you're in a room and you got, you're in a, a, like a 10 by 10 room and there's a bunch of balloons that don't have helium and they're all falling to the ground. And if they hit the ground, they pop. You're running around the room trying to keep the balloons in the air. And as soon as you get to this one and that one, that one you hit before is going down again. So you're running around the room, you're exhausted, you're, you're tired, you're angry, like your, your arms are burning, but you're still just kind of keeping it all together. And it's just like that, that's the experience of a lot of people. And it was really, really uh, unsettling is the best way to explain it. I did not enjoy that part of my life I'm at sure. all. What was the exit like out of the, out of the business? Seems like you had, you know, a 9,000 yeah, square foot building, you had employees. Like, how did you finally let go of that and get out of it? So I got to the point where I was at this, I was, that's what the question was originally, I forgot about it. But, um, but I got to this point where I'm running this thing and then I get to this level where like, I get this break, man. I, I finally push into a stage where like, I'm like, I want to go bigger. And there's this power company nearby called PG&E, Pacific Gas and Electric. 
And they had this, you know, thing where I, I kind of got in this stretch and flex that they were doing, but they weren't doing it right. I gave them this idea of like, hey, we can create something special and new. And over a year's time, it took a lot of meetings and conversations. A year, dude, literally. And I eventually kind of got this breakthrough of where the business of my gym was kind of up and down, but I got a good contract. It was like a quarter million dollars, about $220,000 in profit to do a whole presentation kind of thing for an entire state of California for their company, the gas side. So I pop in, man, and I create this thing. I kill it, knock out of the park. I get a, a kind of a windfall of cash. I'm not looking at bills are paid off, buy a new car. I got money in the bank. At the same time, I get this first uh, settlement from the Steelers because then this whole workers comp situation they ended up giving me a big chunk of change mm. because they owed me. They did a whole different conversation. They did. Was some that dirty with the company? Was that like a like a, just a speaking engagement? Like or like no, workshops? Or a, was the, at the time, I was doing. Um, was it was pretty much like a consultation. I was consulting for health and wellness. I, I still kind of do it in the side, but no one knows about it. But corporations that come in and want to diminish work, like lost work days, um, you know, soft tissue injuries, strains and sprains. Like I'm really good at the psychology and the structure of how to make the body move and get these guys who are just, you know, dudes to move. Yeah. So it how saves did you pull that off a quarter of a million dollar contract? Dude. Like, that's uh, crazy. <laughs> so I go in. Well, what I, I started asking questions, man. It took a year. Seriously, it took a year of time of like, who do I talk to? What are their problems? How do I get to know them? They had these little things called these other safety kickoffs they would do. And guys would come in, they would have guys present. I'd teach them stuff. And I was really good at being able to keep attention. I could talk and share and give jokes and banter. But I had this knowledge of, of fitness and I'll make it simple to do. I talk them through it. Guys loved it. They'd ask me questions. They'd, they'd ask me to come back. And so the company was like, dude, they, they seem to like you. This was all free, by the way. Mm-hmm. So eventually, I'm like, well, why aren't they still doing it long term? Oh, we got this program. So I go, let me look at the program. Your program sucks. What do you mean it sucks? And just talk them through it. And they're like, well, if I could do this, what would it look like if I saved you? You know, if one guy, let's say a month, didn't get hurt, what would that save you money wise? Like 30 grand per person, right? Like, well, what if I, if I could do one guy, like pay me some money for that? Because I'm going to give you a system you could use ongoing. So I was like, let me go through this process. I'll research. I'll watch your guys. I'll come to the place. I'll, but I went back and forth for a year and eventually to the point of realizing like, all right, here's what I could do. Here's what the value to you guys would be if I can do this. I've met with rooms full of like 15 guys in their suits. Didn't look like me, look like you. All the executives of the whole company. Yeah, dude, just all like trying to get them onto the idea. And I would go and talk to guys, have a little video. So I just kind of got these back and forth ends. And eventually got to the realm of like, all right, we can do this. This is what's going to cost you. They're like, all right, let's do it. So I got the contract and I had 127 different yards in California to cover. And I think it was like a 75 day period. So I got three more guys on board. I created a presentation. I, I told them what it's going to look like. He's going to do. I, ta- I taught them. They came to my facility. They came. Like, I, I taught them how to do it. I'm like, all right, you get this chunk. You got that chunk. You got that chunk. And I, I were rolling. And I had a chunk too. I was driving like one day I drove from like San Francisco to Redding, California, which is like four hours north down to Topop, which is LA. I got to one place at like 4.30 in the morning after like not even sleeping, slept in the front of the building, got up at like six o'clock, gave a presentation, got in my car, Barely made to Palm Springs because I couldn't keep my eyes awake. Fell asleep in Palm Springs for 12 hours. Got up to the presentation of this thing. So I was all over the place. Mm. But I got it done, man. How and long was my, that, that a time period where you were installing that kind of system? Was it just like a one uh, kind of six month thing? Or? Yeah, no, it was one, uh, 75 days. I had 75 days to get it rolled out. Wow. And, and, like, and it's at the same time you're running this, this gym. 
Same time running the gym, dude. And realizing what am I doing doing this gym because I have this skill and obviously ability to roll out these bigger ticket items. It'll do a whole lot different. Yeah. There's a lot of value in, inside of all of us that we're unaware of, right? So I had all these things inside me, finally get them to come on board. Yeah. And then the gym, I'm so dad. I'm, and his thing, I'm like, we're custody battle type. We're not like, it wasn't an amicable separation, you know? It was yeah. like we were at each other's throat. So, so I'm still battling that and going back and forth and, dude, the tornado, man. But I was sprinting and I got it done and the cash came in. And it, it just all here's what it did. It freed me up to have uh, a space to go somewhere else. So at the end of all this, say, when did I get rid of the gym? I got to the point of realizing, like you said, like I don't, I don't need this gym. There's more stress to it. There's more ways to create financial freedom and freedom. So in a weird turn of events, uh, around that same time, my mom passed away in April 2014. Uh, and so like I was in the room with her when she took her last breaths, and I made these two promises. I'm like, I'm going to figure my life out, and when I do, I'm going to do what you did for me and love the world some way. And then June of that year, the contract hit. So like I got, I got a lot of money that I could do something with. The gym, the whole entire, like the gym lease ended in June. So I didn't have to re-up, right? So I'm like, well, I can sell that. I sold the equipment for like $15,000. So I sold everything I had inside. It was worth like 70, but I was like, I want it gone. So I sold it for like 15 some guy. Was that a tough decision? Like when you had, because... You know, a lot of people is trying to make a business work when they get that kind of money. They like, oh, now I can kind of fund this thing and really take it work. But that was obviously never really the dream for you. And you know, it's funny you say that. It was the dream, but I think here's the thing. I, I assumed I would retire doing that. I was like, I'm going to retire. I was training. I had some gold guys I trained like still and more like pro bowlers, like, you know, uh, Matt Overton, he played. I might have played at Tampa. You Matt Overton by chance? I don't think so, no. And Matt Overton trained my, at my gym for a lot of years. Like I, I was doing good in this, but then I got that. I was even writing books, but I went to Russia and, and presented on fitness. I was tr- like the NSCA, my certification, my body. You have to have a degree to get that cert. I was presenting for them. I was deep in it. But what it was, was literally it happened after my mom passed away. And I was like, I'm not loving this. Mm. I'm good at it, but I don't love it. Just because you're good at something doesn't mean you got to love it. And that was an interesting reality for me is I was really good at that thing in the gym and having fitness stuff, but I really had this pull because here's the third part that I didn't tell you in June. In June, I happened across this guy named Brennan Burchard, who is a, a huge name in the, in the personal development industry. And his event was in my nearby backyard. Someone introduced me to his work and I was like, oh, wow. So in one you know fell soup, my mom passed away, gym lease ends, I get paid. I find this guy who talks about this, this thing. You can share your story and make an impact. And you can make a business out of it. I was like, oh, wow. So I looked into it. I was like, sure enough, my heart all of a sudden like said, that might be why I'm here. Mm. Like that might be why I've gone through all this in my life. I hit that pedestal of football. I did the stuff in the gym, like the, the, the headaches and heartaches, the parent, all that might've been why. And so I leaned into it. And that was kind of like the start of this whole new, so the gym being sold was like, look, I didn't solve this thing, but I'm gonna go ahead and get rid of it because it's not gonna allow me to grow where I want to. It's an anchor. It wasn't helping me blossom. And I had more to give than I could give in this little town in Brentwood. So I blossomed out, man. And in doing so, like, here's the one thing though. Whenever I did give it up, it really unsettled me because like I hadn't figured that out. You know, like I yeah, had like another transition, right? Like you, it's another yeah. thing that you had to let go and go into this unknown. Like you felt this call, 100%. this pull and these synchronicities mm-hmm. are coming through, but you still had to have the courage to yeah. let go of this old story in order to step into this new yeah. adventure. So yeah. kind of go into that new adventure. So where did it take you and kind of what did you learn to get to the point you're at now? Yeah. So uh, I learned that I had a lot left to learn. It was a big piece of it. You know, there's always something. Huh? <laughs> always. 
I was a rookie again, you know, all over again. I built, I, I love doing that, right? You're a young guy in college, you climb up. NFL guy, I'd climbed up and lost. And then call it the, the gym industry, I climbed up and I dropped out again. So I've, I've been on that start. I'm good at starting, you know, I'm good at, at getting to a peak and then like, what's the next thing? So I, I left that and I, st- I was a rookie dude. I didn't know how to talk on camera. I didn't know my, what I, my message was. I had no idea how to tell my story. Like it was all over the place. But I just kept doing it, dude. At one point, I did a video for 3.65 years every day straight. 1,333 straight days without missing. Called a nightly 90. I wanted to figure out how I 90 could minutes a night for a th- night. over 1,000 nights. 90 seconds a night, yeah. 90, yeah, 90, 90 seconds, seconds a night. Okay, what, what was the, the kind of intention behind that? It was Well, there's two intentions. One was uh, I wanted to be able to, to have my heart come out. I want to find a way to be to just get people to hear whatever I felt like sharing. I wanted people to get to know me. And it's like, what if I just stay consistent? Because I think one thing with our world, people are inconsistent. So mm-hmm. for me, I was like, I'm just going to find a way to get really, really consistent at stuff. So it was a big piece of it. Can I hold this and do this? The other part of it was I wanted to learn how to speak extemporaneously. Kind of like I'm doing now. I can talk without saying ums or ahs a lot. It's just it's a practice. Um, kind of skill. And so I was doing this whole thing of just talking, but I could formulate ideas out of anywhere. I can, you could literally point something out anywhere or give me a random idea and I'll give you a 90 second life lesson on it without even having to give much thought. It just was weird. And so I would do it and it helped me become a better speaker, formulate thought, understand concepts. It gave me a reason to read a lot of books because like I want to be able to have something to talk about. So just kind of kept going. And then I also got to see my life differently. So that was kind of like this, this usherance into trying to go from a rookie to level up. I just it was like, what can I do consistently and execute on it to build? And it became this muscle that I built. So I, I wasn't bombing on stages as much. I would, I would feel more confident stepping out in a new space because it is scary. But I still had the open loop at the gym, to be honest. I was like, I, I closed it before I got good at it. So after I got back with my ex-wife and we got remarried, I came back home. I reopened the gym in 2017. Mm. And I was like, I want to see if I can take all, because I learned a lot about business in the online world, because that's all it is. It's just straight business. It's not, you could, I mean, I coach, and I, I teach and all that kind of stuff, but a lot of it's like the front end and the marketing and the advertising and how am I talking and the ads and all these things, right? And I figured it out, I was like, dang, if I'd have only known this, when I had the business, the gym, I could have killed it. So I reopened it, put about $50,000 in made my, I think we made about a hundred grand back in like the first, I think it was like 12 months. And then kept, you know, kind of keeping things afloat. And this was not me doing anything, all kind of turnkey. And then after I think it was like 16 months, I think 16 months in, I sold it for, I think it was like 50 grand from what it, I just sold for the equipment. So I, I got my money back, made 50, sold for 50 more. So I was like, I, after 18 months, I tripled the investment. And I was like, okay, I figured the gym thing out. I could close the door I can sleep good at night knowing I figured that piece out. So you can but really feel like you finally moved on and let it go until you like achieved that thing and, and were able to, is that the intention of opening the gym or did you get to a point when you opened it? Like, okay, this is just another thing that's taking my attention away from what I'm really doing. Was that the intention mm-hmm. to like really go back in and say, can I do yeah. this successfully? That was it. it was, I did not want to be the gym guy. In fact, while doing it, I was still speaking and talking. I didn't, I didn't, wasn't trying to be the gym guy anymore. I, I wasn't even telling people I had it. I was just kind of like, I do this thing. Yeah. It was seriously internally like, can I do this thing and do it right? And, and I did. And it was just the information. I wanted to make sure I wouldn't you know, go the rest of my life wondering, could I have made that thing work? Mm. And, and it was, it was the first time I, I got to control the ending of something. You know, it wasn't ripped from me. I was like, one of the first moments of like, I get to control how this thing exits my life. 
in the capacity I wanted to. Kind of like how you did when you left the game, right? Yeah. I got to do that for the first time ever. And that was a really good moment of like, man, I figured that out. Now I wanted to continue to keep doing what I'm doing. Nice, nice. Um, so continue on to where you're at now and how you've developed this kind of program and what you're speaking about now. And obviously all these life lessons and adversity have given you the foundation of having something to talk about. Um, yeah. yeah. There's a lot there, man. Now. Yeah. You know, the thing is, is uh, I explain to people that a story is kind of like a hallway in a sense of a hallway is front to end. Now, here's a front door. Here's the back door. It's going to end at that place over there. However, there's a bunch of doors in a hallway. And so I got a bunch of doors. I can go and talk about, you know, the, the white kid or the white, the black kid and the white family. I could talk about foster care. I could talk about sports. I could talk about marriage and parenting and gym business and speak so many doors. Right. And, and so when people ask like, what do you, what's your core thing? It's like, man, humanity, I, I guess. Right. But the thing that I do that I've found brings a ton of value from my entire story is uh, what I call an identity shift. And it's, it's obviously at face value, you get it. It's like shifting your identity, but people, I don't think they inherently grasp the, the weight of what that is because we are a collection of experiences and beliefs and thoughts that consistently they run us unconsciously. Like they just, they are right. Whether it's, I believe this is right. Believe it's wrong. The judgments I have, and it, it formulates this thought that I live my life from and whether it's good or bad, it exists. And for a lot of people, like when I came out, my identity was wrapped in football. And I tell people that when we have an identity, it's kind of like the apple, the fruit of our labor, right? We all have this football with the fruit of my labor. And you don't know, this, this apple fell off the tree. And like any piece of fruit, it can last for a little bit, right? But it can get picked up by the farmer, taken to the store, go to my house, last a little bit. But after a while, it rots. And what happened in my life was this apple fell off and I was the apple. And then when it rotted, I rotted inside. Mm. And I never realized until far later, too late actually, that... I was never the apple. We've never been the fruit. We've always been the tree. Mm. And when you realize what that means, it's like when you're only looking at one apple, you lose sight of the rest of the fruit. So the fruit of my marriage, the fruit of my parenting, the fruit of my business, the fruit of my health, my finances, it all died because I wasn't pruning the branches or putting the tree in the right soil or, or giving it nutrients, right? So when I went back and said, oh, okay, I have identified incorrectly, I'm not taking care of what needs to be taken care of. It's why it's all failing. I went back and, and shifted through a ton of crazy action to figure out, okay, how do I put the tree in the right soil, the right environment, the right people, the right information? How do I give it the nutrients? How do I pretend to this harvest, like the law of the harvest? How do I tend to this tree to get it to produce fruit? And, and in my life now, man, I've got bigger, better fruit than the NFL was. Same as you, right? It's just that there's so much more abundance and it's just, I, I would do this. I do way more than I would ever desire to play football again. I'd love to run it on a kickoff once or twice. I mean, that'd be cool. But like everything else, like I'm cool. And the reality is, I think for a lot of people is, is in the work I do, they're trying to figure out how to get there. How do I get to this point where I have what I call like have it all, man? Like have the financial success that you want so you can have freedom. Not that you can buy a Ferrari and be in private jets. That's not even a goal of mine at all. But I want to be able to know like I can take my family somewhere and I stress off money. I want to have a great relationship. And relationships, my wife, an intimate relationship, my parenting, my best friends, my colleagues. I love humans, man. And if I'm not settled inside, I can't be around many people. Like, it's just, they wouldn't want to be around me because I'd be all over their damn place. Like I was. And then I have health. Like, I, I, I love the fact that I just got back from Disney World walking like, probably like good, like five to eight miles a day and my body's good. Like, I have the ability to go experience life in ways other people just can't. 
And so these things, man, like that doesn't happen because I have big visions one day and I dream about it one day. It's because I was able to figure out how to be able to say, this is who I am and how I put a system into my life to take the actions consistently, prolifically to have it be part of my day and have it feel easy. And so when I go back to what I've done in my life, I've always navigated those hard parts by taking action because there's one thing I've learned. It's key is action ends suffering. Hmm. That's it. And we all suffer in many ways. And, and there's, I mean, if we look at whatever we got, I mean, I don't care if it's like, I'm hungry. The, the, the actions to eat food, you know? But like, if you're not making the money you want, there's an action that ends that. If you're not in the health you want, there's an action that ends that. If you don't have the relationships you want, there are actions that end that. Are they all easy? Hell no. They're incredibly difficult. But for me, when I, when I say like prolific execution, it's not productivity. It's not hustle bustle. It's executing on your dreams in a way that gets you past the pain, past the fear, past the disorganization into a space of joy and makes it actually feel easy. And then for me, when I get people into that flow, that new rhythm for their life, man, it's a, it's a different breath. I mean, I got people that make more money. They have better relationships. They're in better shape. They got better hobbies. Dude, just, it's just like life becomes this thing where now you're settled inside you have what you need to be happy and other people want to be around you more often. So it's like, it's a different kind of flow. And, and I think one thing I do take from football is like, as much as it sounds like an airy fairy thought, I'm very structured with it. Like we do a very specific process called the shift method that walks people through all of this. Like we go through every single step of the way and go, look, I'm going to help you craft. Who do you want to become? Cause that person you'll become has everything we just talked about, whatever you choose it to be. If you already were that person, you already have those things, right? So who do you want to become? What does that look like? What are the actions? What are the steps? What are the habits? What are all these little pieces you people think through, the vision boards they do? And then what happens is a lot of people, they, they make, imagine making a playbook and then not going to practice, like yeah. not executing the play. That's what a lot of people do. They make the playbook and never get on the field and play the game. And so it's like, well, yeah, you're never going to win because you didn't play the game. You planned well. So for me, it's like, all right, here's all the planning stuff. Let's get in and just like football, every single play, execute every play, whether it's scary or it's painful or it's practice or it's again, you got to execute when you don't want to, but after a while, it's normalcy. Just practice. Mm -hmm. It's a game. It's my thing, right? And people look at you like, you're amazing. Look at this guy, professional football player. It's like, dude, I'm just a dude, man. I just play, you know, like play a game, but that's kind of the level of what I take from football. I take from life and I plug into other people's lives and whether people are executives or moms and dads at home, like it's the same stuff. We all got dreams. We all want to have certain things. But I think the problem that society thinks is in order to have something, you have to do something different. But it's not always that. It's a, You do, but it's who you have to be. Because if you were that person, you'd naturally do those things. Yeah, that's, that's beautiful. And I love that analogy of the tree and the fruit and coming back to who we are on a deeper level, which is the tree. And, and I'd love to dive into some of the practical steps, but to, to get to that vision, right? It's like, who do you want to become? And then we'll do the steps to execute on embodying who that person is and all that stuff will kind of find you. And I think yeah. one of the big challenges is for coming back to like athletes transitioning out, especially guys with their identity so wrapped up, which is most of the time, is yeah. like, how, like what happens when they have no idea who they want to be? Because they've, yeah. they've identified so much with the fruit, they actually think it is the tree and the trees die, Right. It's an investment bias. It's really all it is. I think the thing is people can't figure out who they want to be because they, they can't figure out what they want to do. Mm, That's a big piece of it, right? Outside themselves, right? Yeah. Well, the thing is, is we all go to the stage of like, I want to have this, right? And there's this, this thought that I have is like, I fall in love with the day, not the destination. Mm. This is genuine, true. Like I love 
the day. I love what I'm doing. It gives me things I get to have because I planned it that way. But I think a lot of people say, well, what do I, I want to have? And they start thinking about, I want a house, I want a car. Okay, that's great. But like, what do you want to actually do to get that? Because you can sell drugs, do you want to get that? Or you can have a job, you know, like what is the thing you're going to do that you're going to love doing? And so I think when guys get out of the league or they get out of professional sports or girls in the same capacity, what they're doing is saying, man, like I, I want to have all these things, but like they're not thinking like, who do I want to be while I get them? Who don't want to be? You like being the, the sports athlete. It's great, but that's why it was, it was enjoyable. It was enjoyable because you liked being the athlete. Well, try, you have to take an action and try something else. So it's a lot of it's like sampling without the ego. Drop the damn ego because that thing is a massive headache for a lot of people. I call it everyone's greatest obstacle, EGO. It's a hill to climb. When you can drop the ego and be a, a rookie again, learn, like be a forever learner, you take that with the intangibles, understanding how to work as a team, like, bro, it's, it's honestly like it's it's like shooting fish in a barrel for success for athletes if they do this right. Mm. And so what it means is you come out, drop the ego and say, what what excites my heart to try? Like what, what for some reason sparked, those guys making cupcake businesses, you know? They were like, I want to try cupcakes, you know? So they do cupcakes. You got a van. Like all you did was say, look, I, I want to go try something. Open heart, forget the judgments. I'm going to go do this thing. And then when you do it, all of a sudden, like you start finding that you enjoy this thing or you don't and try something else. When you start to enjoy it and you bring the intangibles in, you start clarifying for yourself, like who you want to be every day. And then eventually you start tapping into like, oh, if I'm this person, they could have these things this way. Like then I can settle in more and then I have more joy and I have more flow. And because I have this crazy intangible as an athlete, like the hard work becomes enjoyable. So 90% of people run away from it I love it, man. It's like, let's get that hard workout. I want to get a hard workout more than I want to get an easy one. I just enjoy the harder one more. Yeah. And so when you have that kind of mentality. It's just a different kind of ease. And so I think for a lot of athletes coming out, some of the best things they can do for transition is take an action towards something that your heart for some reason wants to do. I don't care what it is. Try it out. Because that action, one, will end your suffering. But two, it'll give you a little bit of clarity on like what else the world has to offer you. Yeah. Yeah. You can't, you can't, you can't teach experience, right? You, you learn more about yourself and I think a big fear of failure. And that's one thing like athletes as athletes, we know how to handle failure most than more than most people because we've failed like each play. If we do something wrong, it's like, okay, I've failed on that one. How can I make it better? But that fear of failure keeps us from in action, right? From actually yeah. going through and experiencing other things. So it's really continuing to move and find different things. What are some practical tips and advice, like things that guys can do daily to kind of work towards that vision of understanding who they are on a deeper level. Yeah. yeah. So I think there's a couple of things you could do that, that are, are going to be really, really useful and they're not going to be fun to do, but one of them is uh, set your own scale. And by setting your own scale, what I mean is you go back home and you get your quiet space in your house with a pencil, put some music on whenever you choose to do or get a pen, pen and paper's big, make it like tangible. And what you do is you look at health, wealth relationships, these three things, and you craft this picture of like visually, what would this look like in my ideal, like best way? Not the world scale, because the problem is we adopt the world scale. We're living the world. We're on TV and stuff. You're living the world. So like what the world says is great. We got to think is great. We shoot for that. And it kind of sucks sometimes. But when you leave the game, it's like, we don't know what our own version of great is. Therefore, even if we accomplish something and show it to the world, the world says, oh, but you could have done this. And then you feel bad. And so I was like, all right, I'm going to set. So I set my own scale. I'm going to set my own, what is great for me? And, and when you do that, you get to live out of a place of like internal happiness. That's my joy point. Like this is what I know that if I do right, 
it'll feel good and I'll feel good. And so if I do get it done and I show it to the world and the world says, oh, but you could have done this. You go, that's cool. I'm sure I could have, but I feel good right here getting this done. And that's a big piece of it. The other thing I say people do is, uh, is you have these things called triad talks. Now, triad talks are kind of an interesting thing that, that I say people do. It's kind of like a, uh, like a cell phone tower. If you want to know where somebody's at, you get three towers, you ping that position, I find where they're at. I think the hardest thing for a lot of us is self-awareness when we come out of the game. We come out of the game, we don't really know who we are or how we're seen or where our skill sets are. And there are a few people we respect enough to get the insights from. We'll hear a lot, but we won't listen to a lot. So what we do is we end up just hearing these things. And so I was like, well, what if I just like had some people I trusted, I respected, and I found could give me insight. So I found three people that are in different capacities. One person is a person who's in my realm, in my world, who gets the, the stuff. So like it could be a former teammate, could be a coach, someone that knows the game, right? That knows where I'm coming from. Second person is like an individual who might be in my realm that's close, like a family member or something. That, uh, that I respect to tell me what I need to hear, not what I want to hear. I respect them. I know they love me. Third person would be like a friend who is in no capacity, like invested because family members are still invested in you, right? It's your mom, your dad, your cousin. They're still invested. Friends or someone outside, a colleague that has nothing to do with sports, nothing to do with my family. Like it's just there because they love me as a human. They have a different perspective. What I do is I talk to these people, say, look, I need you to give it to me like real. Tell me as you look at me, what are the areas that I'm, I'm struggling and what do I need to work on? And let them talk. You can't rebut it. Don't refute it. Don't try to you know, justify the situation. Just listen to it. And it'll hurt. And it should be a little difficult to hear. But I promise you, inside of those little nuggets of information, you'll hear some things you might have heard a thousand times before. But if you finally listen to it, you might get a chance to see what you can work on. And the crazy thing is that just that's the one or two things keeping you stuck in the place you're at. And once you can know what those are and you can kind of like embrace those and give yourself permission to improve them, I promise life gets better. Because now if it's like communication or you need a better, better listener, right? Or maybe you need to be a harder worker in business or maybe you need to be a better husband. Whatever these things are, they'll tell you, hear them, work on them, and you'll watch your life unfold in a way different way because then you're working on the real things that are keeping you in a funky place right now. Yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah, it's, it's really difficult to hear what our blind spots are. And that's where yeah. it comes into self-development, self-responsibility and ha- being able to grow and work through those things. Yeah. I really appreciate you taking the time, man. And uh, the final question I ask every guest is, you know, what's your vision for yourself individually and what you want to do in this world, what you want to be, what you want to accomplish and what's your yeah. vision for the collective, especially with what's all the stuff that's going on in the world? How do you want to mm-hmm. see a shift collectively? Uh, I think for me, like the, the, the vision for what it would be, I want when I leave this world, my kids to be able to go out in the wild and say, my dad was Anthony trucks and people to go, man, that's a good dude. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, and I, I think the biggest fear I have overall, like I live a really integrous life. I, I know what you do in the dark comes out of light. So I don't do anything in the dark. And I'm not like, it's not like I have an urge to either. I just live a clean life, man. And I want my kids to always have that proud dad. Cause I didn't have that growing up. I didn't have the, this is my dad. Like, you know, so it's like, a different realm for me. I love my dad. Don't get me wrong. Like he's the only like 12 years older than me though. Like a different dynamic, but like, I think kids need someone to be proud of. It's just a special kind of nugget there. So that's kind of the goal for me with whatever it is I do. The work stuff, the business stuff. I'm a dad first, husband first. The business stuff always comes second. Uh, it's just really a big piece for me. So that's the one thing. My kids walk around 50 years from now, grandkids and someone be like, your dad, you're Anthony Trucks. Oh, good dude. Did good things. I'm a solid human. The, the part for society, man, 
uh, I think it's weird because I'll say this and people have heard it before, but I don't even know how to get people to really get it. But I think if society could just have more love and it's not, it's not a matter. It's like, I think love in three ways. One's a love for themselves. Two is a love for others. And three is love as a verb. If you could have more love for yourself, I think it would free you from having to try to cause pain and anguish to other people. Because I think we all have, you can only give what you have inside. When you don't have love inside and you have that anger, you give that in ways you're un- unintentionally giving it, right? Because you can only give it out. So I think we walk through this world, like we're experiencing the world as a reflection of how we are inside consistently. If I get up in a funky mood and I'm doing things, and yeah, the world's gonna reflect that back to me because of how I'm operating all the time. So when you love yourself, like you're in more joy, you have more smiles, you're just a little bit happier and the world has more joy. So I think if we could have more love for ourselves in certain ways, which happens by doing things, actionably execute on stuff. If you, I mean, tell you, the people who love themselves the most are the ones that execute and get stuff done. Look at Kanye, but the dude makes a lot of stuff, you know, like when you are doing things, you can look in the mirror and go, man, I love how you get things done. I love you, right? Self-love, confidence, pride at a level that makes me want to show up in the world differently. When you love the, the, the world, right? If, if you love other people, you give them grace for not love themselves right now, right? It's a space where like, if I, can, if I can love you as a person unconditionally, which is what my mom taught me to do, man, there are a lot of people who don't love themselves right now and they do crazy things to me or they, they just funky. It's the world, you know? So do I get mad? Like, no, I'm gonna give this person grace because they need to see what it looks like to experience love. So I give them a love and a compassion, let it be. And that's where it turns into love as a verb, right? The love as a verb is the action that I have. So the, the loving somebody else is given compassion. The loving verb is like, you cut me off. You called me racial slur. You know what? That's cool. I'm not going to figure out your life. If you have that much darkness in you that you feel you have to do it to somebody else, like, hey, I'm not going to embrace that, but I'm going to let you know, like, I still love you as a human, you know, press on. Or how I show up for my kids or how I show up for strangers. You know, there's just certain things I do to give. And I think if we can do that as a society, if you had everybody doing that, man, you'd be in a vast different world, so vastly different than what we have today. And, uh, and all I can do for that is just show up as me every day. That's my actions. I love me. I love humans and I give them compassion. And the work I do is just loving the world every day. Beautifully said, brother. Yeah. We can only love another to the extent that we love ourselves. And it's that, mm-hmm. that mystical saying, as within, so without, right? Yeah. It's our inner world that we project outwardly. And, and that's the importance of doing this work on ourselves and healing it. And I couldn't have said it better, man. And I really appreciate you taking the time to share your wisdom and your story and opening up and the work you're doing in the world, man. Really beautiful. Um, I'll give you an opportunity to kind of share where people can find you, what you're working on, any kind of social platform, stuff like that. Yeah, man. Uh, come find me on Instagram, man, at Anthony Trucks. And then um, if you want to, I have a daily podcast. I have a two podcast. One's an interview podcast, which I got to have you on. We're on. Are we booked yet? I think we better no, be booked. No, you got to send me a link, man. I'd love to get on. Oh, man. My bad. I got to get you on. And then I have a daily podcast called The, the Shift Starter Daily. And it's uh, it's just an eight-minute episode where I just kind of give some uh, some thoughts and some nuggets on just whatever's in my heart. You go to you know shiftstarterdaily.com, subscribe to it. We give you a little text every day of like, here's an episode. And it's just... Me in your ear, giving you eight minutes to start your day. That's beautiful. That's that's evolved from the ninety seconds a day, huh? Yeah, you know it wasn't. So the ninety second, the ninety second videos, I did those for a long time, and I stopped doing them. And people who listen to them are like, "We want that," you know. So did a podcast. People are like, "I like the podcast, but I want to hear you talk more." I was like, "Well, I'm not going to record, you know, these you know thirty minute podcasts by myself every day, and I'm also I don't have the time to do videos because that was a, that was a, an on taking right. It was ninety yeah. seconds every. It took like ten minutes a night, but like. Life gets busy in three years, you know, there's times hard. So I was like, what if I just do, you know, eight minutes a day, record it on one day of the week before, 
So it's kind of still relevant and then go. And then, yeah, people, I love it. I love it because I get to be in people's hearts because um, I get to like really hear where my heart's at. It's not me and, you know, some guest or just some random, it's like seriously quiet. I prepare my, my space before I sit down. I just, I give it. And so, yeah, people seem to enjoy it, man. And I do it. That's what I do. That's one of the things. And there's no money from it. It's just, I love doing it. Beautiful, man. And all those links will be in the show notes. So go check it out. Any last words of wisdom for the listeners that they can, uh, can leave with and, and any action items, mm-hmm. I guess I should say. Actually, man, go out there. Uh, my, my big thing is make shift happen. If, if they watch the video, man, you can see it up here. Look at, look at, oh, oh yeah, look at that little transition, my man. Look at the transition, man. I say go out there and make shift happen. It's, it's this thing for me. If you think about life, like it, it's about making cool things happen. So you love yourself, right? That's why the execution part of it for me is big. When you get past the hump of like being scared of something, the fear of failure, fear of judgment, make something happen it changes your life because you achieve and transform. And that's the beauty of life. It's not, you can't have one without the other one. You can't achieve without transforming. You also can't transform without achieving something cool. So if you make shift happen, right? Just shift inside to make stuff happen outside, life gets beautiful. So if I can give you guys a message, man, go out there and make shift happen. Beautiful, man. I really appreciate you taking the time, man. We'll definitely connect soon. Thank you. All right. Huge thank you and deep gratitude for Anthony for coming on, sharing the wisdom. Man, he's uh, he's been on one hell of a journey and he's got a lot of wisdom to share. And um, yeah, reach out to him. Let him know um, what you think, what you learned. All of that stuff will be in the show notes. And uh, it would be a huge help to me if you would review this podcast, rate it, share it with your friends. Um, goes a long way into helping me grow the audience, grow this podcast and reach more people. And to all of you that have been supporting me since the beginning, thank you so much. Big things ahead. And until next time, love y'all. Peace.